I bring to this pulpit Evangelist B.B. has ministered to us on multiple occasions. He is a dynamic minister, used of God, sensitive to the Holy Ghost. Will you lift your hands, worship the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ as a man of God comes to this pulpit. Come on, come on, let's do better than that. Let's give it unto the Lord as he made the way in the wilderness in your life. Amen. The Lord just kind of dropped this in my spirit throughout the week. Clap your hands, all you people. Shout unto God with a voice of triumph. You might not feel triumphant. You might be facing down the biggest battle of your lifetime. You might be facing down the biggest enemy, the tallest Goliath, the greatest war of your, of your life. But shout with a voice of triumph anyway. When we shout, it confuses the enemy. Let God arise and his enemies be scattered. We're going to have victory in the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 I like what I feel in the house of the Lord this morning. Do you like what you feel in the house of the Lord? There might be chaos going on all over our state and all over our nation and all over our world. But when you come into the presence of the Lord, everything just seems all right. The presence of the Lord fills the room and joy and peace are restored. Amen. Amen, amen. It is good to be with you in West Palm Beach. This has always been one of my favorite churches in all the world to be in service at. Even if I'm not preaching, but especially if I get to preach, this is one of the greatest places in all the world. Do you believe that today? Amen. And I know that you guys are itching for your pastor to be able to preach again. And y'all and, and, and you are trying not to hate me this morning. But if you'll just love me a little bit, he'll be back soon. And you'll get to hear your favorite preacher again shortly. Amen. I hate that every time I am here, for the most part, I'm preaching and I never get to hear Pastor Kyle preach because I have heard legendary stories from my friends out of this church that I've served on the youth team with here in Florida. Now, you can confirm or deny this, but I've heard you've been preaching so good before that you decided to just take a lap for your own preaching. My goodness, I've never preached that good before. I, I truly want to someday. It is such a pleasure to be with the entire Kyle family, Pastor Kyle. They, as you've heard before, they have been friends of my family and of my parents since I was a wee lad. And so we just feel right at home and with family when we're here. And uh, it's good to be with all of you in this wonderful atmosphere of worship, but I say, why don't we go ahead and turn to the word of the Lord and just let the Lord have his way today. Amen. I believe that if God has his way, and that's what we aim to do and, and allow to happen. I believe if God has his way today, somebody is going to be filled with the Holy Ghost for the very first time. If God has his way, somebody just might get baptized in Jesus' name today and have their sins washed away. And I think that pleases the Lord when somebody's, somebody is made new in him. So let's, let's turn to the word of the Lord today. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 1 through 4. And as you're turning there, just let me say one more thank you to Sister Rocio, my wife, and my three kids for making the journey up here with me this morning. I preach so much better when they're with me. And so I'm glad they're here with me. And uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 1 through 4. says, Moreover, brethren... I declare unto you the gospel, say the gospel, which I preached unto you, which also you have received and wherein you stand, by which also you are saved if you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried and that he rose again on the third day according to the scriptures. Now I, I know that I'm preaching probably the most classic scriptures and, and concept that can be preached. A lot of you are sitting out there going, oh we've heard this before. But there's somebody here today that needs to hear this message. 
And from this passage and this title, I want to preach to you. The gospel you need to hear. There's a gospel you need to hear this morning. Amen. Why don't you clap your hands unto the Lord one more time? And you may be seated. The gospel. What is the gospel that Paul writes about there in Corinthians? We hear that phrase often around the church. But what is the gospel? There are all sorts of gospels these days. We use that term frequently. We've got gospel music. Thank you, Lord, for that. There's gospel quartets. Then there is the often neglected and even forgotten while being highly underrated southern gospel. There's three of us here. Hallelujah. At South Carolina and Louisiana. We're keeping keeping them on the air. Not to mention the Apostle Paul warned against the temptation to turn to other gospels that false teachers would preach. They were preaching them in his day and he declared they would continue preaching them into the future. Today we see a lot of these other gospels which Paul also declared are actually not other gospels at all. There's the prosperity gospel, the social gospel, the poverty gospel, the suffer for success gospel, the God is love only gospel. The Christless gospel, the therapeutic gospel, the formulist gospel, the moralist gospel, the judgmentless gospel. There's the social club gospel. There's the activist gospel. And the list could go on and on. Paul was not fighting a straw man or chasing windmills when he warned of other gospels that would eventually arise. In fact... It may be more difficult to hear the actual word of God gospel in most churches today than in any of these popular doctrines that I just mentioned that are preached over pulpits and radio waves and television networks day after day after day. But there is a gospel you need to hear this morning. There is a gospel that will save your soul. There is a gospel that may not promise riches and health and material gain, but this gospel will lead you to eternal life. This gospel will lead you to streets of gold and walls of jasper and gates of pearl. This gospel will give you joy unspeakable and peace that passes understanding. I wish I had a witness in the house this morning. The word gospel is the English translation of the Greek word euangelion. Now I went to Bible school and I learned some Greek. And I'm going to tell you all the Greek I know. Euangelion. That's it. The euangelion. Its literal translation is good news. When we preach the gospel the Bible way, we are preaching the good news. I don't know about you, but I could use some good news in 2020. There's a lot of bad news that's been going on in 2020, but there's even more good news because where sin doth abound and where sickness doth abound and where tragedy doth abound and where uh, coronavirus doth abound, grace does that much more abound. Amen. When we preach the gospel the Bible way, we are preaching the good news. Without the good news, it isn't the gospel. So what is the gospel? What is the good news you need to hear this morning? Here it goes. This is your good news. You are a sinner. Yes. Boom. Good news. You all feel better now? You're dismissed. We'll see you tonight. Wait a second. That that does not feel like good news. But that's right. The good news today does not begin with Jesus in a manger. Or a savior. Or a healer. Or a miracle worker. The good news begins with the bad news. 
The story of the Bible, the story that you need to hear today doesn't begin in the New Testament or in a manger or on a cross or in the book of Acts. In fact, the gospel story must begin in Genesis in the Garden of Eden before we hear the good news, we need to hear the bad news. Now this isn't in my notes, but I just feel like saying this. A a major problem with modern Christianity today is people begin their search in Matthew. They begin their search for a Savior not knowing why they need a Savior. And so the Bible gets reduced to just a feel-good story about a God who loves us. But there's more to the story than that. There's bad news that precedes the good news. People don't particularly like this kind of preaching. Some of you may tune out for the next few minutes until we get to the good news. Because this isn't marketable. And so a lot of churches have decided to preach another gospel so that their constituency can grow. But there is a gospel you need to hear today. And there's a gospel I need to hear today. The gospel begins with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. It begins with Adam being created in the image and likeness of God. The Bible says that they commune with and walk with God in the cool of every day. Genesis says it like this, that the voice of the Lord walked with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day. I don't know how a voice walks, but something tangible, something evident, something recognizable would take place as the presence of the Lord would move into the garden every day in the cool of the day. Their world was a paradise. There's no lying, no cheating, no stealing, no war or famine or pestilence. There's no sickness, no COVID-19, no lying and cheating and failure and, and embarrassment and shame. None of these vices and dangers that we grapple with today that destroy our bodies and our lives and homes and families. None of them exist in the garden. They live in peace and harmony and all they have to do is enjoy God's creation and obey one commandment. Genesis 2, 15 through 17 says, And the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat. But of the tree of knowledge and good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. One commandment. But why? Why the tree? Why the prohibition? And why even the option? Any critical thinker that hears this story is going to arrive at that question at some point. Well, God, if you didn't want them to eat of the tree, why did you even give it to them in the first place? God allowed man to choose. You can choose to do life your way, and you can choose to do life my way. You can choose to walk your path, and you can choose to walk my path. You can choose to... Make the decisions on what is right and wrong for yourself. Or you can allow me to choose what is right and wrong and lead you and guide you in the paths of righteousness. And that choice remains today. You get to choose. Will I walk my way or will I walk his way? But God offered a warning with that choice. If you choose to do life your way, you will mess it up. You will bring destruction on yourself and you will surely, surely die. It's true that judgment was enacted when they ate of the fruit. But if you're anything like me, there have been seasons of my life where I decided to step out of the plan of God for my life. And I thought, I'll just... 
do it how I want to do it. I'll just walk how I want to walk. I'll just make decisions the way that makes my flesh comfortable. The way that makes my pride comfortable. The way that makes my lust comfortable. And then after a couple of weeks or months or years of walking on that path, I turn around and say, how did I end up here? That's what happens to Adam and Eve. They choose to go their own way and immediately the the wages of sin starts bringing forth death in their life. Adam and Eve failed. They ate of the fruit. Sin entered into the world. God had commanded every creature to produce after their kind. And Adam and Eve would produce people like them, sinners. So we are all sinners and sin when it is finished bringeth forth death. Aren't you enjoying this good news this morning? Because of their disobedience, God pronounces judgment on Adam and Eve. I want you to understand something this morning. You are not a sinner because you sin. You sin because you are a sinner. You're born that way. You can't grip the the steering wheel tight enough and grit your teeth and read enough self-help books and focus your attention and you can't try your hardest and do your best and somehow become righteous on your own. You cannot do it. Because we're born in sin. We're shaping in iniquity. And God says it like this. Judgment comes. In Genesis 3 Unto the woman he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. Because of that, every mother in the house has said at one point, when I get to heaven, I'm going to find Eve and we're going to have a talk. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. And unto Adam he said, because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it, cursed is the ground for thy sake, in sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth to thee, and thou shalt eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat the bread, till thou return unto the ground. For out of it wast thou taken, for dust thou art, and unto dust shalt thou return. Let me break that down to you in 2020 language. You're going to work yourself to death. When Monday morning rolls around and the alarm clock goes off and you go, "Ah, I don't want to get up again. I'm killing myself. I work so hard. I sweat and I fight and nothing comes easy. And every time I take a step forward, I take two steps back. And it's a struggle all the days of my life. And it never gets any better. And I I can't figure out what to do to work this all out. Yeah, that's called sin and you're going to work the Bible says to Adam in the field and in the dirt until you go back into the dirt pain and suffering hard work and death struggle and strife those were the consequences of sin then and they are the consequences of sin now Sin separates us from God. He is holy and righteous. And we are unholy and unrighteous. We cannot give ourselves wings and go up into heaven and and carry ourselves into the presence of the Lord and and into His holy presence. And if we could, we would be consumed by His perfect holiness. It is a hopeless case. We are undone. We cannot go to Him and He is too holy to come to us. But God would not leave you hopeless. Even in the garden, God offered hope. In the moments immediately following their rebellion, God offers hope. In fact, before he ever pronounces judgment, God offers hope. Genesis 3, 14 through 15 says, 
The Lord speaks to the serpent and says, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle and above every beast of the field. Upon thy belly shalt thou go, and the dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. And it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. In the very moments following the fall, God declares, Eve, your seed is going to strive against the works of sin. And one day, one of those seed, one day there's going to be one of those seed born. And when he steps out on the scene, he's going to make his way back to the garden. And he's going to find the serpent. And he's going to crush the head of the serpent. And when he does it, he's going to be wounded in the process. And in the very moments following the sin in the garden, in Genesis chapter 3, the promise of a wounded Savior was given for all humanity, for all time. There is coming. Coming a day, there is coming a savior, there is coming a deliverer, there is coming one who will put back together what was broken in the Garden of Eden. Your seed one day will undo what was done here. One day, sin will be destroyed by a savior. And in the process, that Savior will be wounded. I hope you're catching what I'm saying today. In Genesis chapter 3, just 8 to 10 pages into your Bible, Jesus was promised. Human history is still in its infancy. And the hope of the one that destroys sin... Has already been promised. The one that could defeat the devil is already declared. The one that could cross the barrier of our sinfulness. And come to us in our fallen condition. Was declared before Adam and Eve ever left the garden. This is the story of the entire Old Testament. Over and over again. We see the destruction of sin. We see the failures of the greatest men and women in history. Because try as they might, they cannot save themselves from sin. Noah sins. Abraham and Sarah sin. Isaac and Jacob sin. Moses sins. David is a wretched sinner. Sin carries on. But so does the promise. Sin marches on with human history and right alongside it there's a promise that there's coming a day where a Savior's going to come and He's going to fix what was broken in me. Come on, clap your hands unto the Lord. He was the lamb slain from the foundations of the world long before you ever failed, long before you ever stumbled, long before you ever lied, long before you ever cheated. Jesus was on his way. Amen. Sin abounds, but so does the promise. The Old Testament, the entire theme of the Old Testament from Genesis to Malachi. There is an overarching meta-narrative. A narrative that sits above all the other narratives. And this is it. Expectation and longing. With every passing generation, parents would gather their children in their laps and they would tell them probably especially often in the midst of trials and tribulations. They would gather them around and they would say listen babies there's coming a day. It ain't always going to be like this. We're not always going to struggle and strive like this. One day a Savior's going to come. One day a Savior's going to deliver us. One day a healer's going to come. One day they're going to set at liberty them that are bruised. And they're going to open our blind eyes. And the shackles are going to fall off. One day just hold on a little bit longer. 
This is the theme of the Old Testament. If you pay attention as you read through your bread program, the Old Testament seems like a repeating story over and over again. There's righteousness in the land. People are serving God. People are doing well. Blessing and favor and abundance is being poured out on the nation of Israel and God's people. And then eventually somebody will turn. That pull of sin, that invitation of sin will pull and they will turn. And they will be again this downward struggle towards all sorts of debauchery and idol worship and even sacrifice and slavery and brutality and all sorts of horrible things. And, and people of God would be going, well, how do we end up like this? Will we ever come out of this? Is it all over? And then the voice of a prophet would stand up and he would say, there's coming a day. You're going to be restored. You're going to be brought back. You're going to be turned around. There's going to be victory again. The house of the Lord is going to be full once more. Over and over and over again. They looked for him. Adam and Eve looked for him. Eve believed Cain was him. Noah looked for him. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, David, and the prophets, they all looked for him. They all hoped that they would meet him. They all hoped that they could touch him and feel him and hear him. I'm not making this up. This isn't conjecture. As the, New Test as the Old Testament turns to the New Testament, there are some characters that we don't give enough credit to and uh, we don't tell their stories often enough. The Bible says Jesus is born, and on the eighth day, they bring him to the temple for his circumcision. And when they arrive, there are two elders who had lived long, long lives that just refused to die. Named Simeon and Anna. And when Joseph and Mary come walking up with the Christ child... They recognized something in him. They had searched for so long. They had prayed for so long. They had hoped for so long that when they looked into his face, the Bible says, Lord, now I can die in peace for my eyes have seen our salvation. He's here. He's here. The promise was true. It wasn't a lie. He's alive. He's alive. He's here. Come on, clap your hands unto the Lord this morning. desire for the promised Messiah was so prevalent every good Jew that lived in those days knew he would one day come in fact the not so good Jews and even the Samaritans expected and longed for him remember the woman at the well the woman who was a social outcast for having been married five times she was no scholar she was no teacher she had not sat at the feet of Gamaliel. She wasn't on the board of the trustees of the Sanhedrin. She, she wasn't a faithful attender to the synagogue and the temple. She was a terrible sinner. Far from God. She was no scholar or teacher. But on that fateful day when she met Jesus. And he began to tell her everything she had ever did. She exclaimed to him, but sir, you don't understand. I know that one day a Messiah will come. And when he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus sits with her and says, why don't you go get your husband? And she says, I don't have a husband. He says, funny you should say that. Because you've had five husbands. And that joker you're living with now ain't your husband. And she said, who are you? Who's been talking about me? How'd you know that? She is, you know what she's confronted with? The bad news. You're a sinner. You're a bad sinner. In fact, you're a good sinner. You're good at it. And she says, but sir... I don't want to be this way. And one day a Messiah is going to come. And when he arrives, he will give us the answers. He will show us what to do. He will fix what's broken in me. I don't like me either. But one day a Messiah will come. 
And as far as I can tell, before he ever told Peter, or James, or John, before he ever announced it in a temple or on a synagogue or a climb the Mount of Transfiguration, Jesus looked into the face of a woman who had been dejected and rejected and had been brokenhearted and broken down and said the only thing that would fix it is a Messiah. And he looked at her and said, hey, baby, that's me. I'm the one you're looking for. I'm the one you're waiting for. I'm here. Everyone knew a Messiah was coming. Everyone believed there was hope just around the corner. The promise carries Israel through centuries, through defeat, through capture and overthrow, through famine and pestilence, war and even slavery. They expected and longed for the one that could right the wrongs, the one that could heal the brokenhearted, preach deliverance to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised. They searched for the one. That would be given whose name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. The Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. All of those things were said about him 700 years before he was ever born. Because the promise kept pressing on. That's why when Jesus calls Andrew to follow him. Andrew, come follow me. Andrew first finds his own brother Simon and says to him. We have found the Messiah which is being interpreted the Christ. That's why when Jesus called Philip. Philip findeth Nathanael and said unto him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and the prophets did write. Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Hear the, the testimony in their voice. We've been looking for him since Moses. We've been looking for him since Jeremiah and Isaiah and Amos. We've been looking for him for a long time. But the search is over. He is here. If the theme of the Old Testament is expectation and longing, the theme of the New Testament is Jesus is here. He is here. He has arrived. Let me tell you, the theme today is Jesus is here. Jesus is alive. Jesus has arrived. The search is over. The, 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 the longing and expectation is over. He is here. He has come to seek and to save that which were lost. You don't have to be lost anymore. You don't have to search anymore. Jesus is the one promised in the garden. Jesus is the one that was promised in the law. Jesus is the one that was promised to the patriarchs and the prophets. When God told Abraham that your seed will bless all the nations of the earth. That was a promise about Jesus. When God told David your seed will sit on the throne of Jerusalem forever. That was a promise about David. About Jesus. Every promise of a Messiah was about Jesus. But remember the promise declared. The one that would defeat the serpent would be wounded in the process. Remember, David said his hands and feet would be pierced. Remember, Isaiah said that he would be wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities. That the chastisement of our peace would be upon him and with his stripes we would be healed. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before his shearers is dumb. These were not written about Jesus looking backwards. This was not a history lesson. This was prophetic. A savior's going to come. And he's going to take bruises and wounds and stripes on his back. And he's going to die. But when he does, he's going to bring healing. And he's going to bring deliverance. And he's going to bring salvation. The prophecies were never for a conquering king. But for a wounded savior who would take our place. The wages of sin is death. But our Savior was always going to pay the price. I want you to 
We're going to take you back to the garden again. And I'm running out of time. But Adam and Eve are standing before God in judgment. And they know that what it means now is death. And that they should surely die almost immediately. But even then, the Bible says that the Lord steps away from Adam and Eve. And he goes and he finds a spotless lamb. And he slays that lamb. And he spills its blood. And he takes its coat. And he comes and he covers them in the coat of a spotless lamb. And no, the, the doctrine of substitution. Institution wasn't instituted that day but a shadow of it was declared that one day a lamb is going to step in between me and consequence. One day a lamb is going to step in between me and judgment. One day a spotless lamb is going to shed his blood so that I may live. Clap your hands unto the Lord. So Jesus came and he lived and he died that in place of death we might have life. This is the gospel. This is the good news. We are sinners far from God with a penalty we cannot pay. But Jesus paid it all. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. But he washed it. White as snow. That's the good news. That's why we rejoice. That's why we sing and clap and give and dance and pray and worship. We have found him. Why do you act like that, apostolics? Why do you sing and dance and shout? Why do you cry and laugh and leap? Why do you run and worship? Why do you make it to the house of the Lord, even in the midst of a global pandemic? Because we have found him. We have found him. We have found him. Moses looked for him. Abraham looked for him. David looked for him, but we found him. He is here. We can hear him. We can feel him. We can touch him. He is here. I think you ought to get more excited about it than that. All the generations of the patriarchs hope to meet him. But he said, you, you, you're the one that gets to meet me. You're the one that gets to touch me. This is the gospel you need to hear as the musicians come. This is the gospel you must believe and respond to to be saved. Hear me. You must believe that you are a sinner. That you cannot save yourself. You must believe that Jesus came to take our place. That he carried a cross up Calvary's hill. That he died on Golgotha. That he was buried in a borrowed tomb for three days. But on the third day, that stone was rolled away. And Jesus came marching out with the keys of death, hell, and the grave. you got to believe that today. And when you believe that, you ought to say, what must I do? This is the gospel you need to hear. And believe. The Old Testament, the prophets and the preachers and the teachers, they all said, He's coming, He's coming, He's coming, He's coming. In the New Testament, they all preached, He's here, He's here, He's alive, He's alive. That's what Peter preached on the day of Pentecost. The Apostle Peter preached this message. He preached, Jesus was the promise, Jesus was the one declared. We know that to be true because his many marvelous works, because he did miracles and signs and wonders before us like nobody else had ever done. But if that isn't enough, we know that he is the Messiah because we killed him and we buried him in a tomb, but not even death could hold him. That he came out of the grave and he is alive today. And that's how we know he is the Savior. That's how we know he is the one. Then Peter said, this same Jesus who you killed is the Lord we have always been waiting for. He is the Christ. Now think about that. 
that crowd of 3,000 people, they're standing there. And surely their minds reverted back to the dozens of times. The hundreds of times. Mama and granddaddy and great-granddaddy and the rabbi and the teacher would tell them one day a Messiah is coming. And now Peter is standing up there. And he's saying the Messiah came. And you killed him. They must have thought. Idiots. Ah. Ah. How could we? We've waited. We've hoped. The Bible says the Lord came unto his own and his own knew him not. And so we didn't know. What do we do now? Oh, they're lucky I wasn't preaching that day. If I had been preaching that day, I'd say, what can you do? You killed Jesus. You can go kick rocks, buddy. You're lost. That's the worst sin in the history of the world. You killed the Messiah. What is wrong with you people? But the Lord picked the right person to preach that day. You see, only 50 days prior, Peter had said, I don't know him. I don't know him. I don't recognize him. That's not the one. That can't be him. And then the Lord was resurrected again. And Peter says, what have I done? And the Lord said, it's all right, boy. I've got a message for you to preach. And I've got some keys for you to deliver. And so, no, Peter wasn't ready to cast anybody aside. He said, let me explain to you the grace and mercy that I've just felt. Let me share with you what I've just been received. So, no, Peter doesn't say it's too late for you. He says, this is what you do. Let me tell you what to do. Repent. Repent. You see, a lot of people think of repentance as a... As a, a baton or a weapon for a preacher to beat you over the head with. You're a bad person. Repent, repent, repent. That's not what it is. Repentance means to turn around and walk the other direction. The Bible says broad is the way that leads to destruction. It's this big, long path. Wide. It's a super highway. It's got six lanes on it. You can be lost because you're prideful. Or you can be lost because you're depressed. You can be lost because you're rich. Or you can be lost because you're poor. You can be lost because you put all your effort into a healthy body. Or you can be lost because your, your body is riddled with disease. It doesn't matter to the devil. He don't care. He don't care if wealth and riches draws you away from God. Or if poverty crushes you away from God. He don't care. It's a broad way. It's a big, broad path. But Jesus says, narrow is the way that leads to eternal life. So you turn around. You repent. And you get off that broad way. And you begin walking on that narrow way. What is that narrow way? It's it's Jesus. Lord, I'm just coming towards you. I'm laying aside all the weights and sins. I'm laying aside anxiety and depression. And I'm coming towards you. I'm marching towards you. I'm walking towards the cross. You lead me. You guide me. You show me the way. That's what repentance is. It's the greatest reset, redo, start over button of life and of all of life. If you don't like the way your life has turned out, you think it's unfair and unjust. You feel like you've been beat down and overthrown and defeated and kicked and held underwater and just mistreated. You feel like it's just not a fair. That's all right. Turn around. Turn around. Start over today. Start over today. Stand to your feet. Peter said repent. And right now, that's what we're going to do. Whole church. All of us from the front to the back, on the platform, in the video room, everybody all across this sanctuary. 
the, the apostle Paul said that he repented every day, that he died daily, that he crucified his flesh every day. And so every day, you might have repented this morning, that's all right. You can do it again, it doesn't hurt. It might have been a long, long time since you ever prayed a prayer of repentance. But if you'll say, Lord, Lord, forgive me. I'm tired of doing it my own way and my own path. I want to turn from my wicked ways and walk with you. You know what the Lord will say? The first invitation to Christianity throughout the scriptures is always, Come, come, come. So let's repent today. Would you close your eyes and bow your heads? And I want you to pray a prayer like this. It needs to be your own words and it needs to be sincere and from your heart. But I want you to pray a prayer like this. Lord, forgive me. Lord, I'm sorry. Lord, I acknowledge I am a sinner far from you. I have never, I'll never get it right on my own. I've stumbled and fallen so many times. I'm sorry for every lie. I'm sorry for every time I've used your name in vain. I'm sorry for every time I've cursed you. I'm sorry for every time I've been violent and angry for no reason or for an unjust reason. Lord Jesus, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that when I felt you drawing me and inviting me, I went the other way. I'm sorry, Lord, that I thought I could do it on my own. But today, I want to put my hand in your hand. Today, I I want to get off that broad way and I want to get on the narrow way and I want to walk with you I want to live for you I want to serve you I want to be your child I want you to be my God I want you to be my Lord Amen I feel the presence of the Lord here I want to move on but the presence of the Lord is here if you need to linger in that repentance for a moment you go right ahead and do that He is here. He is here. You know what he's saying today? Come. Come unto me. You may be saying I'm so far from you. You may be saying I've failed so many times. You're not further away than that woman at the well. You're not further away than Zacchaeus. You're not further away than Thomas and Peter. He says, come today. Then Peter says to them, once you've repented of your sins, and I feel like a spirit of repentance has come in this place. Once you've repented of your sins, Peter says, be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. Be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. Let me tell you, if they preached one message in the Old Testament, they only preached one message in the New Testament. They preach the same things over and over again. Repent. Be baptized in the name of Jesus. They preached it to Jews and Samaritans and Gentiles. They preached it into Asia Minor. They preached it into Rome. They preached it everywhere they went. Be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Today, if you've never been baptized in the name of Jesus Christ and have your sins washed away, that can happen for you today. You don't have to make an appointment for next week or next month or next year. You can do it today. We've got robes. We've got towels. We've got water. We've got baptismal counselors. We've got everything you need. You can come in contact with that one that we searched for for so long because today he is here. And then finally, Peter said, You shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. You shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. That is Christ in you. That is not Christ with you, Christ near you. That is better than what the apostles and the disciples had before the day of Pentecost. That is Christ in you. That is Christ with you. That is that leading and guiding. That is that anointing. That is that favor and blessing. That is that healing touch. That is that prompting of the spirit that you feel in prayer. That is Christ in you. And once you've repented of your sins and been baptized in Jesus' name. In fact, once you've repented of your sins, you're ready to receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And today, we believe that the Lord wants to pour out His Spirit upon all flesh. We believe that the Lord wants to fill you with the Holy Ghost. So this is what I want you to do. I know I've gone over time. I apologize. My wife will straighten me out on the way home. Would you 
do me a favor and turn to the person to your left or right and ask them, have you ever been filled with the Holy Ghost? Have you ever received the Holy Ghost? Speaking with other tongues. The way they did on the day of Pentecost. The way they did in Acts chapter 2 and 8 and 10 and 19. The way Paul said he received it in Acts 22. Have you ever been filled with the Holy Ghost speaking in other tongues? If they said no, this is what I want you to do. Make sure they got a mask on. And I want you to invite them down to this altar real quickly. I want you to invite them down to this altar. Just take them by the hand and say, come on, let's go. Let's go ask the Lord to fill us with the Holy Ghost. If you've received the Holy Ghost many, many times, but you just, I need that fresh touch. I need that filling all over again. I need need that spirit poured out on me again. I want to invite you to come. We can social distance, spread out, use this whole space, fill the aisle if you need to, whatever you need to do to feel comfortable. But the Lord wants to pour out His spirit on us today. Would you come? That's the first invitation of the gospel is come. Would you come? Hallelujah. I'm going to wait another 10 seconds or so before we take our next step. Would you come? If you've never been filled with the Holy Ghost, I'd like to invite you to come. It's for children. It's for adults. It's for elders. It's for men and women. It's for whosoever will. Let him come and drink of the waters of everlasting life. Amen. Amen. This morning... I hope this is okay. This morning, if you've never been filled with the Holy Ghost and you'd like to receive the Holy Ghost, would you just raise your hand? Would you just raise your hand? One, two, three. Would you raise your hand? We're not trying to embarrass you. We just want to know. Four. Amen. Amen. We're getting ready to play and sing and worship the Lord and somebody who's going to come pray with you and God wants to pour out His Spirit on you. This is all I want you to do, church, from all across the sanctuary. I want you to close your eyes and lift your hands. I want you to lift your head up towards heaven. Lift your heart unto the Lord and just begin calling out to Him. Lift your voice right now. Lift your voice. Just begin calling out to the Lord. Lord Jesus, I found you. Lord Jesus, you're here. Lord Jesus, you're alive. Lord Jesus, the promise was true. Lord, pour out your spirit on me. Lord Jesus, fill this sanctuary. Have your way, oh God. Have your way, oh God.